Is there anybody else that wants to give the Lord praise? Talk about a wild praise, a, a loud, rambunctious praise. A, you've been so good, praise. A, I needed you, praise. There's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm just in a season in my life where I I sense the the spiritual battles attack on families the attack on our health the attack of the enemy in every place and we're in a season in our nation in our world where as the Bible talks about um, rumors and tragedies and earthquakes and things that remind us that we've got to decide whose side we're on and I'm so glad that God has already made that decision, that he's decided on the side of humanity, that the plan of salvation is comprehensive, and it includes everyone. And as the Lord is pouring out his grace and his favor and his blessing, there's a call on the church to respond to darkness. And now more than ever, I'm emboldened to walk towards what is dark and carrying what is light to speak truth and to speak righteousness in this generation and I've decided not to be afraid of what is around me but for the world around me to be afraid of us to be afraid of the power that is within us to be afraid of the call that God has put on our lives and we have been chosen to live in this generation with your experiences with your gifts with your trauma with your past that we might be the church that the world is looking for to respond to what the enemy is doing. And I still believe in the Bible. I still believe that greater is in he. Greater is he that is within us than is he that is within the world. Does anybody still believe that? And so I'm grateful for all of you who have come to God's house today to to encourage one another in the Lord and this really is a team thing this is what we do together and my responsibility today is to proclaim the word but it's our responsibility collectively to live the word and demonstrate it and carry it out and so I'm glad you're all here today I'm excited to share something with you in scripture that I pray will be hope hopeful and uh, will build you up in God as it was mentioned earlier next week uh, we are going to have our vision Sabbath. I can't wait to lay out uh, what God has for us in this coming year and all the things that he has put on us. There is a theme for the year and I cannot wait to share it. I think it'd be a good week uh, if those of you have not seen in a while, those who may not have attended in a while, some of you are here today, haven't been here in a while. It's really good to see you. And let everybody know uh, that the vision is going forth because the Bible says to write the vision and make it plain. And my role as the pastor here is to cast vision. That's my role. What does God want us to do? But it's your role to take that vision and run with it. It's your role to take it and run with it. And I'm grateful for the leaders in this church who are, are on fire. They are taking the vision. They are internalizing it and they are running with it. 
And our vision is not just to help each other in here. We believe very strongly that we are a city, a church for this city. That our church is the city where people ask, how many members do you have? Last time I checked, we have 80,000 members. And that's just in Pasco. And so God has called us as a group. He don't need a lot of people. He just needs some people that are willing. And so I want to talk to you, uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at the verse in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I just want to pray one more time as we get into this word today. Father, thank you for the opportunity in peace and in safety to hear the word of God preached. Lord, you have been with us. You have walked with us every day of our life. And you have promised to be with us. So on this day, you've led us here to this fountain to drink deeply of your wisdom, of your love, of your understanding. And I want to echo and pray in agreement with what Becky prays and is believing for, that someone today will have a miracle, an emotional healing, a financial healing, a physical healing, a spiritual healing, something that will happen for them that they've been praying for for a long time. And I pray today we will leave here encouraged knowing that we have been with you. I pray that whatever is holding us back from hearing you, whatever distraction, whatever anger, whatever sin, Lord, that we would give it to you now. Lay it on the altar that we might be able to receive what you have for us. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus. And everyone say amen and amen. Amen. So today, um, our text uh, that we are reading, we are preaching from today requires a little bit of context and it requires some reading. And so I'm really going to spend a lot of time today just reading through the story. I know some of you are new to the Bible. We're really glad that you are here. And so we want to be intentional for those who are new to these stories and new to the Bible that we can all be on the same page. And so we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel is a book in the Old Testament, and it really begins to to record the transition that the people of God had gone through uh, from being kind of ruled by judges and officials to now having a king. And we're in the midst of a place where there are really two kings. The first king of Israel, Saul, who has been rejected by the Lord, but he has not necessarily been removed from his place. And David, his replacement, who had been anointed by the Lord, by Samuel, the prophet, this book is named after this, and he had given anointed David, but David has not served in that capacity just yet. In fact, Saul is trying to kill David. David used to be his intern, used to be in his house, and Saul knows that David is getting ready to take over, and now David is being uh, pursued by Saul. And David is doing something very interesting. He's hiding in a country of his enemies. He, he, beat, he beat Goliath. That was kind of the, the way he kind of came to the scene after he had already been anointed. Goliath was this huge warrior for the Philistine army. And somehow politically, David has navigated himself that as he's running from the country of his own country, he's made friends with the king of the Philistine army. And somehow he is hanging out uh, with these people and he's running from these people. And early in uh, chapter 29, Uh, the king is getting ready to go to war with David's country. 
he's hiding out with the Philistines. He's getting ready to go to war with the Philistines and go against Saul and his own people. And some people are getting concerned in the camp. Like, wait a minute. How in the world can David be loyal to us? Maybe you should send David home. Because David had been hiding out for about a year and a half. And he had been raiding different towns and plundering and establishing and fighting really on the behalf of his enemy army. But now this battle is coming and they're saying, we don't trust David. And so they send David home. And David has been out to war with his armies, with his army. And that's where we find here in verse uh, chapter 30, verse 1. So David had been sent back to his hometown where he was living. And the Bible says three days later when David and his men arrived home, at their town in Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. And they crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but not killing anyone. Now, earlier in a couple chapters before, you'll see, read that when David went to destroy a city, he actually killed everyone. Now, these are difficult parts in the Bible that I don't want to avoid. I don't want to avoid these narratives of war and conflict. And I'm not really sure the ethics around war in the Old Testament. But the pattern of the day was when you went into the town, you destroyed it. You killed everyone. Everyone. Y'all hear what I say? Everyone and everything. But when they got home, they realized that they had not killed anyone. So when David and his men in verse 3 saw these ruins and had realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Came back home. All of their families was gone, were gone. The town was completely burned to the ground. Everything was gone. They had no idea where they were, and they wept. I'm talking about these mighty men. I'm talking about soldiers. I'm talking about David and his men. They wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahonan and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. So David's family was captured too. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter for losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord. Other versions say David renewed his strength in the Lord. David found strength in the Lord. He said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. The ephod was like this thing that the priest wore. It was a garment that had a bunch of stones on it. And it was the way they would inquire of the Lord. And I know it sounds a little mystical, but they would pray. And on those different stones, they would light up. It was like the first circuit board or something. And it would, it would light up on their chest. These stones would light up and God would answer them through this ephod that the high priest wore. And David said, go get the ephod. Go get the priest. And so the priest came and he brought it. Then he asked the Lord. He said, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? He said, should I chase after them? Is it worth it? Then, uh, where are we at? And the Lord said to him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. We're going to come back to that verse. So David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Besor. About 200 of the men 
were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued to pursue with 400 men. One third of his army couldn't fight. Too exhausted. Too emotionally drained. Overdone. They, could, they can't even move. David says, we got to keep going with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. This is very crucial. This is uncommon that he would extend this kind of kindness. Because think about it. They don't know what happened. They don't know who came. They don't know where anybody is. They don't know where to go. And they stumble up on an Egyptian man. And they could have just killed him out of rage, out of anger, out of disappointment, out of looking for revenge. See, sometimes we got to be careful who, uh, with the first person that comes to us after we've been in some mess. Like, can we just be honest? Can I just talk to the brothers real quick? Some of you men who have had people at home, like, it's very easy for the stress of the day to fall on your family. It's very easy for the first person you see to catch the wave of anger and disappointment and confusion that you have in your heart. We got to be careful. And so they find him. Instead of killing him, they feed him. And this proved to be providential. They gave him a fig cake. They gave him some cluster of raisins. He had an impossible burger, a shake, a fries. And he had, because <laughs> he hadn't eaten anything for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from, David asked. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites and the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we just had burned Ziglag. That's some good information. That's some intel right there. You'd be surprised where God will give you what you need through people that you're not expecting to get it from. You'd be surprised that serving someone, a spirit of hospitality and love and care and recognizing that while I build you up, you may have something that I need. And this man that they could have killed or could have left, could have abandoned, here he is with the intel. And he couldn't give it to him. Until they had fed him. So he's strong. And he says, David said, he says, will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man replied, great response, by the way. If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide them. I will guide you to him. So he, so he led David to them. Check this out, y'all. They found the Amalekites spread across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amounts of plunder that they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next evening, day until evening. 24 hours of fighting. I've always wondered about these passages. It's like, who's the last person to get killed? I, I, I don't understand that. That's a long battle. Like, I, I feel like about 3 a.m., maybe 8 o'clock, I'm, I'm checking out. I'm seeing David's winning. I mean, this is, this is not going anywhere fast. 
I want you to see this because the Bible says none of the Amalekites escaped except for 400 men who fled on camels. They came with 400 men. They've been slaughtering that many people that the Bible says nobody escaped except for about 400 people. Like how many people are there that except for 400 people is a small margin, a small percentage of people. 400 people left and it's 400 of them. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Look at verse 19, y'all. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing, small or great. My Jordans, my iPad, my everything, my baseball card collection, my drone, my pot, my kettle, my Tupperware. Ladies, you know how you get about that Tupperware. My mom used to be like that. I ain't giving her no more Tupperware. She did not give it back. Those are the ones with the orange tops. This, I'm, y'all, I'm a little old school. Forgive me, the ones you used to push down with the orange and red tops. Y'all may not know about that. Nothing was missing, son or daughter. Nothing else had been taken. David brought everything back. I know it's a long story. I know it's a long passage. But God really told me to encourage you today to recover it all. To recover it all. This, this, is, this, is, this is a powerful passage. And, and when any time or February comes around, I'm always contemplating, for because for years as a pastor, uh, I've done something called African-American uh, Heritage Sabbath, and we've kind of celebrated black history. And, and it's been difficult in the last couple years because uh, although I want to celebrate it, I want to be mindful of everyone in the room, and I want it to be, I didn't know how to navigate that thing very well. And just this week, we were in Washington, D.C., and we had the opportunity to go to the African-American History Museum. And we got there late, and we should have gotten there later, some, earlier. Some people told you, you need way more time to go through that thing. And we actually made the mistake of starting from the top and not from the bottom. And I remember as we walked through the exhibits, and I remember as we saw the story, and as we saw the history, and we saw everything, I felt overwhelmed I felt overwhelmed thinking about what my work is in this world I felt overwhelmed thinking about those who had walked before me some even related to and I thought about the sacrifices I thought about what triggered things and I the one of the things that really shook us the most and we went to that first was the Emmett Till Memorial those who don't know who Emmett Till was he was a 14 year old boy who was mutilated and brutally murdered and beaten beyond recognition in the 50s and he was killed because of who he looked at a woman a white woman who was accused actually of looking at her and he went missing and they killed him brutally and they did not expect for his body to be found but when his body was found they almost didn't recognize who he was 14 year old boy he was sent back home to Chicago and his mother intentionally decided that she would have a open casket she had an open casket, and when people saw his face, when people saw what had been done to him, 
by those Klansmen, when they saw that, it sparked the civil rights movement. It made people say, when they saw his face, they could no longer turn back. And I thought about the sacrifice. I thought about what was lost, but I thought about what was still left to be gained. I thought about what was still possible in the future. And the interesting thing was, as we were there leaving that um, that museum and we were walk, we were driving right down Capitol Hill. It happened to be, as I told my staff earlier, it happened to be at the same time when the Senate had got done voting. Anybody watching the news lately? And it was madness. There was, there was cars and security and protests and triumph and anger and the whole city was, was just crazy. And in my mind, I just kept thinking about what is it that you want me to do in this world and what is there left to still recover? Because my story and our story collectively, not only as people and not only as a nation, does not end in that museum. And I began leaving with this spirit of resilience saying, I don't want to just survive. I want everything back that the enemy stole. I want every single thing back that the enemy stole from me. And my guess is there are some people in this room who feel that the enemy has stolen something from you. There's a trauma in your life. There's a problem in your life. There's a situation you're going through and you're saying to yourself, I'm this close. I'm this close from leaving, walking away from everything. I'm this close to giving up. I'm this close to living. I'm this close to just closing the door and saying there's nothing else that can be done. And if I can just encourage you today with these words in scripture as to that, do not give up yet. That there's something else that maybe God is reserving for you and he wants you to recover it, all of it. He wants you to get all of it back. He wants you to get everything that you lost and sometimes the things you lost aren't tangible things sometimes the the health that you lost won't come back sometimes the finances that you lost won't come back sometimes the person you lost won't come back but it does not mean there's something else to recover Because when you lose things and when you lose people and when you lose opportunities and you're facing down what seems dim and dismal, you have lost more than what you think. I want you to look at this passage because there's something going on here that that I didn't I didn't know why God like God, why are you why are you bleeding me here? This is such a complicated situation. It's so complicated. And I wish I had more time. But when, as the verse here says, when David and his men realized the, uh, saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Here's the problem. They were loyal to David. They were following David. And David had got them mixed up in a place where they shouldn't have been. David had no business with the Philistines. Let's just keep it real. David is running from Saul. And while they're out plundering and taking everybody else's stuff, they were not able to protect what they had. While they were out being successful, and the reality is, as one commentator would write, that you could just imagine they're coming home because they got sent home. They're like, look, you ain't got to fight this battle. And they're probably rejoicing, and they're probably laughing, and they're telling jokes, and they're reenacting their fighting, and they're doing kung fu moves, and they're laughing and clowning. And when they get there, when they get close to the town, they start smelling smoke. 
When they get close to the town, they see somebody's shed that's not there anymore. They start seeing things, and then they start scrambling and running around, and they don't see any bodies laying on the ground. And they know right away something has been missing. I put this question to ask you, to pose to you. What have you lost going out that you couldn't protect at home? Because you know what? Success will mess you up. Success will mess you up. Success will do things to you and you'll lose things that you didn't expect to lose. You will find things that, and what I, what I found here was that success really clouded their mind. Success in this place really took back their faith. It really diminished their need to see God. They had been plundering, they had been raiding, and really there's a sense that they had not been asking God what the next step was. And David's got them out here messed up. David's got them out here messed up because they come back home and they've lost everything. Can I just talk to some real people? You ever worry about that you're looking at the future and you're looking at your life and you're looking at success and you're looking at what you want to do, but you see some things happening at home and you're really concerned about? You see some things happening maybe in your mind and in your heart and you're worried that you really can't pursue this and protect this. And the enemy does not attack us just from the front. The enemy does not just attack us from the front. Our enemy does not only attack us from the front, but also from the rear where he seeks to cut off our supports. And what we don't want you to do at this church is perfect how to be a Christian, to just have a good rhythm, to just show up for church, to just read, to just know all the lingo, because that's the front side. The back side is when you get home from church today. The backside is when you get home by yourself. The backside is when you get news that you weren't expecting. And what we want you to have is the faith in God that can endure the attack because the attack is coming from all sides. But we serve a God who can protect us on all sides. He's just not where we can see, but he's at where we can't see. Because see, trauma, what it does is it tests your faith. It exposes your character. That's where resilience comes from. When I went in that museum, what I saw was trauma. I saw trauma. I saw testing. I saw pushing. I saw death. I saw discouragement. I saw dis- discrimination. I saw things that I thought to myself, how in the world can a people recover? But what I saw woven through that story was this golden thread of faith in God that says, God, even though this is working here, you're still working with me and you haven't given up. David finds out everybody's gone. They're ready to kill him. Because that's what trauma will do. Trauma will mess you up. And they say they wept until they could weep no more. They had completely run out of strength. Nothing left. And they're like, you know what? We should kill David. Because you, you know how it is. Like when things start falling apart, you start questioning leadership. You start questioning people in authority. You start saying, well, maybe this wouldn't have happened. You start looking for, and it's reasonable. It's reasonable. David should take some of the blame but there's a hidden gem inside that they didn't see there's something they didn't see obviously didn't know because they didn't know what happened they didn't know where they were but here's the reality they didn't find any bodies 
Because when they were plundering, they were killing. When they were plundering, they were laughing. When they were taking, they were putting it on an Instagram story. But now it's flipped, and they don't even realize that they have not yet seen those that they love die. Because God was doing something. So, David says, I got to encourage myself in the Lord. And I, I wondered what this was. I wondered what this was about David that he said to himself, not only have I lost everything, not only have I lost all my children and I've lost this battle, but there's something here about these men trying to kill me, but I've got to encourage myself in the Lord. Here, I'm going to read this to you. One commentator says it this way. It says that leaders need to know how to seek personal encouragement in the presence of the Lord in turbulent times. He says, weeping over a loss, you can leave that on the screen, weeping over a loss with your subordinates is not enough. We need to be able to comfort them when we comfort ourselves with what we have received. See, David realizes that I've got to find something in the Lord that I lost. See, what David had really lost was his dependence on God. What David had really lost was his focus. And I love what David says. David realizes, go get the ephod. His response is, we need to talk to God. We need to cry out to God. We need to ask God about this. And it's such a thin line. It's such a temptation that I talked about last week that the enemy would love to get us stuck and say, just stay here and get bitter. Just stay here and get mad. Just stay here and abandon it. And there's this intersection where God says the trauma has collided with the opportunity to re-engage your faith. Because here's what God is saving David from. The battle that the king of of the Philistine army sent David away from is the battle in the next chapter that Saul will die in. The battle that he gets sent away from is the battle that his best friend in the world will die in. And David was going into that battle fighting against his own people, but he had no idea that Saul and Jonathan would be in that battle. So can you imagine what would have happened if David would have got on the battlefield and saw his best friend and saw Saul, who he could have killed several times, and he's divided in his loyalty? What would that have done to his kingdom? What would that have done to his nation? And what would that have done to him? God distracted him and preoccupied him with that battle and gave him another battle to save his kingdom. Sometimes God is sending you something over here to keep you from dying over here. Sometimes he's sending you something over here to battle and pray about to keep you from making a mistake, the worst mistake of your life over here. And God has pulled David outside of this particular chaotic battle in order to give him an opportunity to reset his priorities, to reset his mind. He would have been conflicted. When his loyalty would have been put to the test. Because here's the reality. Sometimes we get out there and our loyalties are messed up. Can we be honest? 
Like we, we, we just, we're either, we're either loyal to the money, but we're not really loyal to what we need to be loyal to. We're either lo- loyal to the moment, to the experience, to the pleasure, whatever the opportunity is there. And we can get in a point. I know, I know sometimes when I was getting ready to do the worst foul stuff, can I get a witness in here? God was always blocking me. Like I used to make me mad. Like I was always, God was always showing up when I didn't want him to show up. You ever had that conversation with God? Well, God, um, I just wanted to tell you right now. I want to ask for forgiveness in advance for what I'm getting ready to do. But it's too late because you've already invited God into, into the situation. So David doesn't even realize that everything that he had was still there. And I want to go to verse 19. Verse 19 says nothing was missing. Small or great, son or daughter, nothing or anything else that had been taken. God, David brought everything back. I want you to know that that is a miracle from God. That God has sustained and preserved what he had lost. And I want to encourage you that maybe the battle and the struggle you're going through now that you may feel that you're losing something. You may feel that there's no other option. You may feel that it's about to end. But if you just continue to trust in God, that there is something else there that God wants to give you. Can I tell you what the New Testament says in, in 2 Corinthians? I believe it's 2 Corinthians verse one, chapter 1, verse 4. Here's what the Bible says. He comforts us in all our troubles... So that we can comfort others. I'm going to have to read this again. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Okay, I'm going to read that again. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give to them the same comfort that God has given given us. David encouraged himself in the Lord. David realized I can't continue until I get this right with God myself. David realizes I've got to reset this. I've got to stop. I don't care if they're trying to kill me. Let me just get in line with God. Bring me the ephah. Give me the opportunity to talk to God because what David needed is what his men needed. What David needed is what his people needed. And perhaps the journey that you're going through is not just for you, but it's for a later opportunity that you can comfort someone else with the same comfort that you received. That you can bless someone else with the same blessing that you received. It's not unto death. It's not over. It's not the end of the story. And perhaps what you're learning and what God is cultivating in you is for somebody else. And I do not believe that God sends us stuff to harm us. But all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He says, I want you to recover it all. I want your joy back. I want your faith back. I want your vision back. I want your talents back. I want your purpose back. I want that fire back. I want to recover all of it. 
Some of you are in relationships where you've lost it. There's no fire. It's ice cold. Ain't nothing there. And God said, I may not be able to bring that back, but I can bring you back. I may not be able to give you the prayer that you're asking God for, but I can renew in you everything that the enemy stole because it's still there. Your joy still there. Your calling still there. Your blessing still there. Your purpose still there. Everything that God has for you is still there. It's still there. So I want to encourage you today as we move into vision Sabbath. And when we outlay the vision, when we share the vision out, here's what I'm going to promise you. I'm going to promise you that you're going to have trouble. Do you hear what I said? You are going to have trouble. Trouble's not going away. But in trouble, there's opportunity for great victory. There's opportunity for recovery. And maybe what you are afraid of is the very thing that God is bringing you into so that he can bring back something that you've lost. You're like, Pastor, I don't know if I can do that anymore. I, you know, that, that was, those days are over and that's buried and I'm done and I don't have the time and I don't have the energy. Just don't, don't forget what success can do to you. Don't, don't forget what a credit score can make you forget when you didn't have no money. Don't, don't, don't forget that, that a bank account can, can really make you believe that you're a lot better than you are because trouble can remind you that it can be gone just like that. And when we serve God, we realize that the timeline of our life is not just here on earth. It's just not this life. There is a life to come. That we will live with God for eternity. And what we do now, the Bible says, greater love has nobody than this than to lay down their life for those that they love. The more I give my life to him, the more I lose it. The more I find him, the more I lose it. And I have a different perspective. And when I walked through that museum, I saw people who had laid down their life for me. For a greater purpose. And there's thousands of people who are not in the museum. And there's thousands of people who won't be recognized. And some people may never know your story. But God knows your story. And he's saying, you have no idea what you are doing. You have no idea what I'm doing through you. I want to recover all of it. I want your grandchildren back. I want your kids back. I want the generations back. I want your neighborhood back. I want everything back. your trouble and your pain and your situation and your problem may be the catalyst for the deliverance of an entire generation I said your trial your problem your situation may be the catalyst for an entire generation the problems in Washington the problems in America the problems politically and economically and everywhere else it is a catalyst for the church to stand up and say yeah now it's time to show up and show what God said and do what God told us and lead into darkness through the light of Jesus Christ now's the time
I want to ask that we're able to do something special today to stand up on our feet today. And I want to make this appeal. I see my elder in the back. I'm asking my elder to come up. Other leaders, if you're able. I want to do a special prayer for some, somebody today who feels the need for special prayer. Our appeal today is for special prayer. For those who are caught in a moment right now, when you're right, you're right on that line, you're saying, I'm ready to walk away. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. And I really don't believe God's on my side. I want to ask you if you need special prayer today to come down to the front. Don't be afraid. We're just going to do a quick prayer. I'm going to have my leaders come down and they're going to put their hands on you. They're going to pray for you. If there's something you're afraid of, if there's something you're going through, now's the time. We're doing a special prayer of recovery today. And our prayer today is that God brings it all back to you. Just come on up to the front. Don't be ashamed. I know it's tight. Just find a way. Our leaders are right here. We're going to pray for you. They're going to put their hands on you. Just come on up to the front. Don't be afraid. Whatever it is, whatever the problem is, don't be afraid. It won't take long. Just saying, God, I need you to recover. You're saying, God, where's the ephah today? I need an answer. You need an answer. Come on up. Make yourself known so one of our leaders can put their hands on you and bless you. Come on, you're still coming. You're just asking God for an answer. You're just asking God for encouragement. You're just saying, God, I want it all back. I want it back in your time. There's a few people up front. Do I have anybody else that can slip up here? I can't see if he's on. There we go. Hey, Don, why don't you come on off the drums and come down here for me. Thank you. I want to pray today. Mom, why don't you come on up? Right over here. Everybody else that didn't come, I want you to join me with the prayer. I want you to be in again to pray. There's some people that didn't come out. So you might be standing by someone that just couldn't come down for it, right? Father, we're praying right now. We're praying, Lord, through the pain and through the trial, through the disappointment, through the fear, through the agony that we're going through because we feel that we're in a place of crisis. And today, Father, you, you said in the word that if we need anything, if we're sick, if we're hurting, to come and let the elders of the church put their hands on us and pray for us. And so today, right now, we're praying a prayer of recovery. A prayer that, Lord, you will restore faith to the hearts and the minds of the people who need it today. That maybe the situation won't change, but who you are will show up differently in the situation. And then they will believe in a different way and that you won't allow their faith in you to be taken. And I pray not now that you would begin to bless them. You begin to heal them. As we've sung earlier, that even now you begin to restore them and give them their courage back. Give them their vision back. Where are those among us who have been sinful, who have walked away from you, who have not been obedient to you, while they are here in the house, I pray that they will confess and lay that on the altar today. The devil has had them hostage and bound with thoughts and addictions and depressions and things that have held them from you. And I pray today for deliverance, for freedom today. 
That they will know that you are listening to them. You are hearing them. That they are not, have not, you have not left them. And today they're asking for a supernatural moment for you to remind them and show them that you have not given up on them. And that there is a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that only Jesus can give. Would you flood hearts with peace now? Would you flood minds with joy? Would you give joy back? Peace back? Faith back? Courage back? Strength back now? Not just for them, but for all of those who are beyond beyond them. All of those who will hear their story. We celebrate, Lord, this church, this place that will be a place of healing for all people, a place of prayer for all people. And we celebrate the miracles, whether they came today or whether they'll come tomorrow or whether they'll come later in the week. We believe today that as we have prayed, you have moved, you have responded, your spirit has gone forward. Father, we're not going to leave here the same. We're not going to leave here with our head down. We're going to leave here going after the enemy, going after the Malachites. Yeah, you said to pursue them today. We're going to pursue everything in our household that is tearing our household down. We're going to unsubscribe to certain channels. We're going to cut off certain subscriptions. We're going to put the Bible back into the forefront. We're going to change our routines. We're going to change our diet. We're going to change the culture of negativity in our home. We We are going to pursue the enemy and we won't stop until he's defeated. So, Lord, we rejoice today that everyone in this room, you are moving on their behalf. Those who have come down and those who have not. And we rejoice today that through your power and your promise, we will recover it all. We will get it all back, if not in this life, in the life to come. We thank you, God, because you're going to move and you are going to change hearts today. And we're going to leave here different than we came. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus and for his sake somebody needs to shout amen amen and amen come on church let's celebrate all these people come on these are miracles up here come on church come on church let's celebrate what God has done today amen you can be seated back to your seat